Progressive brings you Flowetry with Flow. A tool called Name Your Price. Get a grip on your spending like an industrial vice. It's nice. Beats rolling the dice. I prefer brown rice. Don't carry dumbbells when you walk on thin ice. Splash. Get insurance based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to episode six of Stolen Signs from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Kendall Gilmet, and we have Harry Pavlidis from Baseball Prospectus here as well. Good Hi. evening, Kendall. Hello, Harry. How are you doing? I am doing well. We Great. have two familiar guests coming to join us. Yes, we do. Uh, Russell Carlton and Dan Brooks are going to be joining us for our talk about psychology and its role in baseball and various other things yeah they're both psychologists uh of different stripe which is kind of intentional it's kind of convenient uh we, we work with these guys very closely i've actually worked with dan very closely for well better part of a decade now uh which you may be able to tell from the conversation at points uh but we uh he's kind of has a neuroscience experimental psychology background he's done work with you know animals and humans um and he has a background also today in working around some of the ethical and uh standards issues around psychology research Russell is a clinician, a clinical psychologist. He's also been a consultant for Major League Baseball teams, uh, and he works actually as a counseling psychologist. He's actually a working psychologist, uh, and he's probably one of the most ubiquitous baseball writers in the research realm, uh, outside of psychology and within psychology-related topics in the sport. So you probably people probably read his weekly column at Baseball Prospectus and. As we like to joke, if, if you have an idea about baseball that you want to write about, the odds are Russell's already done it. Um, so he's actually, you know, quite a quite a great writer, and I think a lot of our listeners probably know Dan not just from his writing and, and Saber Seminar Conference, which we talked about a few weeks ago, but also, of course, Brooks Baseball, the website with all the with all the pitching data. Do you know? So, um, do you know how he named that that website? No, well, it's a shame that we never had a chance to ask him that. He's got it's a, a pretty strong brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's very creative. Those, those things are hard to untangle, I think. Indeed. Yeah, so um, we chat with them quite a bit about a range of subjects. We talk about um, kind of how baseball teams think about the psychology of their players, how players develop and um, a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah, the difference between groups and individuals and measuring and not being able to measure things, which is kind of my bugaboo in all this, is it's like, okay, like these are actually, you know, you can, you can, you know, this, can, we, can we measure these things? Because we want to manage these things, and I think we come to it. I think a, 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 a very roundabout but a, a common place on that at the end, so. Yeah. And we'll so, 
yes. Before we do that, um, I want to remind people to um, email us if there's any questions. Stolen underscore signs at baseballperspectus.com. We're also on Twitter at stolen underscore signs. And you can ask us questions or um, whatever there as well. We're also on iTunes. So rate and review us. And just a little follow-up. I haven't looked into the Android store. So if you're on Android and you are pining for our uh, podcast and your podcast app, continue um, to pine, continue to pine or uh, email us and tell me how to do it. Uh, <laughs> and I'll do it. Uh, I just haven't had time to <laughs> look it up. Right. So it takes, a, it, it takes a, it takes a village. That's right. We depend on you. I depend on you, Android users. So without further ado, let us uh, take a quick break and then we'll be back with Dan and Russell. All right, we're back here with Russell Carlton and Dan Brooks and Harry. And we are going to chat a little bit today about psychology and baseball. Welcome, Dan and Russell. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi. And my phone was on mute for uh, for two seconds. So like uh, sorry about that. Hey. Like, yeah, like, this is a really professional intro. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's like the real. That's impressive. So we've we've accomplished our first uh, hurdle. So uh, so psychology is important. Um, because it has to do with the study of human behavior. Uh, so, it, we, you know, baseball is obviously has a lot of psychological things going on. There's the competitive aspects of the individual, the dealing with failure. There's the catchers dealing with their pitchers, uh, which are fascinating. There's clubhouse chemistry, which everybody loves to talk about. Uh, but there's also kind of more modern things about, and possibly more behind-the-scenes things that happen in baseball. So... Let's try and talk about uh, one of those things first. I, I think really the first question, and I'll, I'll we'll throw it to Dan to start. You know, what what are the what is the primary role of psychology and psychologists in Major League Baseball? Um, gosh, so actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it back to you. Oh no, and sort of like. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's good. Uh, uh, cultural heritage stuff. answer okay. questions with questions. Um, uh, you, you know, I think it, the first question here is like, what counts as psychology? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, so uh, I know you mentioned a couple of things. You know, uh, there's sort of interpersonal interaction and clubhouse chemistry and stuff like that. There's also a tremendous uh, um, array of topics that don't include those things. So um, motor learning and performance, visual neuroscience, you know, expertise as a thing, you know, how to teach people how to do things when they're already experts, right? Like, did you realize that uh, you're actually coaches answering that, that question and not asking about that? So you're doing very good. Well, <laughs> well, well, no, but I mean, I mean, like, I think there's, there's a question of like, like what counts in the sense that, you know, um, uh, baseball is fundamentally a game of human performance and 
there's a tremendous amount of complexity to human performance that sort of goes beyond social interaction, which I think most people think of when they think of psychology. You know, they think if this is going to be a podcast about psychology, we're going to talk about feelings and we're going to talk about people talking to other people and things like that. But, you know, there's there's a tremendous depth here. And so, you know, I, I, I think we could spend that, the whole time talking about neuroscience. And never, ever go on to human interaction, just how an eye tracks a ball. But that would probably suck. <laughs> so I think no, you kind of no, get the big thing. It's like that's where that psychology is all over baseball. It's down to the human performance. It's down to the group dynamics. It's down to individual performance. It's, it's stuff that happens on the field. It's all sorts of things that happen in terms of – how the brain operates and perceives the flight of a ball. So our technical topics like pitch tunneling are really fundamentally based on things that are in the domain of human psychology. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's true, right? I mean, um, you know, I, I had sent you guys, uh, you know, in, in uh, mock preparation, it's not like there's any preparation for this podcast, but uh, in mock preparation for this podcast, you know, had sort of sent over a list of, of, um, of people who had spoken at Sabre Seminar, uh, which is a thing you should look up if you've never heard of Sabre Seminar. It's a uh, annual um, uh, baseball conference, science conference in Boston. And, you know, there's like 10 or 12 things. Um, uh, I don't think we've actually had anybody talk about interpersonal interaction. We've had like nine different academic baseball talks on essentially, you know, vision and uh, visual neuroscience. And, you know, so, yeah, I, I think uh, I think we could spend a lot of time talking about things that aren't interpersonal interaction, but we could also talk about interpersonal interaction. So uh, so there's yeah. my sort of long non answer. I think so. you're, all, you're you're an experimental psychologist and, and Russell is a, a clinician. So maybe he thinks differently. Well, I figure if we talk about all the neuroscience stuff, I can get credit for being on the podcast. Dan can do the whole thing. But um, and then you get to add that to your CV. Yeah, yeah it's great. You know, that'll get me uh, places in the world. Is the podcast flying on the CV yet? <laughs> there should be like invited lectures, papers, publications, invited podcasts, uh, submitted podcasts. Is there like a submitted podcast line? Like if you, you know, like. Um, I yeah, bugged okay, Jonah Carey. Can I? Hey, can I be on your show? You know. <laughs> yeah, you know that, that's exactly that's right. Yeah, and it, and then um, sometimes you get a letter back from Jonah Carey that's like, you know, your podcast topic isn't interesting. Um, it doesn't <laughs> add to the field. It's not surprising enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's it's actually me because I'm pissed off at you about something <laughs> and I'm backstabbing you as an anonymous reviewer through Jonah, saying I don't want that jerk to go on your podcast until he. <laughs> yeah, you review for the Journal of Jonah's podcast or whatever that's as, as, as the official uh, allegedly we all have to turn guys <laughs> all right sorry i'm speaking over Russell. go ahead man <laughs> i said as the official clinician here this took a turn <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so trying to get a little bit back on track um russell so trying to look at some of the more clinical things that like some of which harry brought up um like relating to other people, pitchers, catchers, chemistry, things like that. Where does that fit in? Um, like from a team point of view, what did they, or what are some or most or anything like that? Like, do you have a, a, an idea of 
how teams think about psychology in an interpersonal way, not in a neuroscience necessarily way. Dan, you can answer well, that later, maybe. But yeah, I mean, I think that the the idea is that it's something that you know, in the early days of of sabermetrics, there was this idea of, oh, you know, chemistry doesn't matter or makeup doesn't matter, and, and primarily because we couldn't measure it. You know, I mean, there was, I mean, there's just no, there's no really, really good way. You know, we don't have feelings FX, and we don't have. Um, you know, one of the things I, I like to say about baseball is, you know, the creepily obsessive nature with which baseball collects data is really only apparent if you think about it applied to other areas of life. You know, we have to the inch how much each fastball or breaking ball broke. Um, we have, you know, to the tenth of a mile of an hour. You know, we, we, we can tell how fast it went. And but we don't have, you know, who was talking to who in the clubhouse and who doesn't like who and who's um, who gets along really well and who was was basically sitting around and they were, you know, talking about something and one guy said to another, hey, I've got this cool idea. Why don't you try it out? And he tries it out in batting practice and it works and tries it in a game and suddenly, you know, he's a 40 home run hitter. And, you know, there's we don't have that level of of uh, of data on uh, on baseball players. Well, I but I, you know, I think teams- I thought that's what Instagram was for. Well, you know, there is actually there. There's a line of possible research if somebody really wants to get into that on, you know, who follows who on Twitter and and um, although you know not everybody not not everybody is obsessive about Twitter and using Twitter. So um, who shows up in whose DMs? That's right, relevant. No. And yes. Topical. I will. Yeah, <laughs> it's a family podcast, so we're not going to put the wolf problem. <laughs> Um, but but I think that you know teams teams at least understand that yes this is this is something that that's there although I don't think that you know really anybody has a, a really solid grasp on from a data perspective on how this works in in baseball I mean we know that a baseball team is 25 guys you know who get to pick get picked to live in a series of hotels they wear funny pajamas they all hang out in the miners they hang out on buses um you know you get to the big leagues you get a plane but um but you know they're all in close contact with each other and they're constantly traveling for work and you know it's really the only social circle that they consistently have when you're traveling from place to place and on the road and you're a millionaire and people are trying to take advantage of you and so you know you you'd have to think that um, that that that's going to at least have some effect, if for no other reason than you know that there are ways there are there are things that do happen in baseball that we're good at measuring, but then there's the things that don't happen but could have or should have. You know you 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 try that extra little you you have that little extra spring in your step, and so you get to that sinking line drive rather than let it bounce in front of you. And you know if you're fighting back a sense of loneliness at the same time you're trying to fight off an idea mile-an-hour fastball, um, that can that can make a difference. Um, and we have research from outside baseball that says that this all makes you know you, you know we can link depression to reaction time. We can link um, anxiety to decision making, and we can do all that sort of stuff uh, outside of baseball. So I mean, it's kind of becomes a hodgepodge of things that we know that just because baseball players are human that they are at risk for or can fall prey to and so things that we need to think about um, and and we know that, that 
that's going to possibly have an effect, and especially in a game where um, you know reaction time and and, and decision making and things like that are, are very are very critical. So, you know, there's this idea of well, yeah, it counts, but we don't have a full appreciation of how. And then there's the, like the question of you know there have been plenty of teams that have had you know quote unquote terrible chemistry that have been extremely successful. And so, like, how do we account for that, I think, is a question that I have. Um, as we think about chemistry and is chemistry important, um, what about those teams? Well, you have to think about, you know, each individual person is – I mean, you know, people people find – and this is the clinician in me talking. People find either their happy place or fulfillment or meaning in life through a bunch of different ways. Some people really just want to be left alone and have, you know, curl up with a good book and that's just what they do. And some people are, you know, they're they want to be in the middle of everything and they want everybody talking and they they're always chattering. And you know, you could have a, a clubhouse where nobody really talks to each other, but if everyone is kind of getting what they need, either, you know, they're just not you know, high social, high sensory people, or, you know, they're getting that from other places in their lives. That can be okay, you know, just because it doesn't look like the clubhouse doesn't look like the, um, you know, kind of the, the, the TV version of what we're all supposed to strive for and be, um, you know, highly social, sensory seeking morning people, basically. Um, that, 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 that isn't, that isn't necessarily a bad thing. It can be. Um, and I mean, if you got outright, outright hostility, that's obviously a warning sign. Um, but it's, it's tricky to say that, oh, that team has bad chemistry when really it's just kind of, oh, it's a little different chemistry than you or I might choose um, when if we were kind of picking the ideal place where we wanted to go. So I think – I think that's one way that, that people can kind of mess that up. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm I'm always kind of really hesitant when people start talking about this and, and with any certainty because the dynamics are so complicated that it's really hard to, to talk about them in any meaningful way unless you have really good behind the behind the veil access um, and you've done some you know some good talking to the players in, in question so assuming is, you can pick up uh, some decay in ability you know slowing in reaction time due to cumulative stress beyond beyond the normal levels of fatigue and perhaps dietary issues if you're in the minor leagues uh-huh. but the, you know your, your your dog died your kids are you know are are uh one of your kids is sick and you know you're fighting with your wife so it's hard being on the road as a ball player so yada 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 these things manifest in physical or physiological ways how how fine of an edge is it? We're talking about you know, Dan. We're talking about like the performance levels of uh, of the decision making, like the, the things that an infielder has to do, preparing themselves before play. You know, the amount of focus before every pitch that has to occur, or just the simple reacting to a batted ball or, or a pitch, reacting to a pitch. You know, how fine a line are these athletes at this level walking? Do we have a sense of that? You know, from all these. You know, hundreds so, of talks you've seen at, at your conference. Well, so so I think that, um, again, just taking a step back for a second, I think part of the problem here, and um, I think Russell was, was uh, 
also sort of uh, 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 talking about this idea is that you know these sorts of things are really hard to measure when you're sort of up close and and you have a, a really good idea of who these people are and um, as you know, sabermetricians or analysts or whatever, often what we're looking at are these pretty far downstream products of things that might, you know, processes that might be affected by mental stress or some sort of psychological variable. And when they're different, either because of random chance or because of actual difference, we're sort of left um, inferring or imputing psychological distress or well-being. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, um, if, if a guy is, if a guy is in a slump, let's say, um, and a slump is a, you know, I'm I'm not saying that slumps or hot streaks exist or not. Um, I'm just saying if a guy is in a prolonged stretch where he goes hitless in, um, you know, maybe that, (laughs) okay. Maybe that's because we're just observing some random variation. You know what I mean? Like imagine we were to take 10 coins and, um, or 25 coins. And if, uh, you know, 13 of them came up heads, we would say that the coins won that game. Uh, and if, you know, if not, we would say that they lost. Um, you know, it's random chance, right? And nobody would say that, uh, you know, on a stretch of, uh, stretch of six or seven victories in a row that the coins had good chemistry or that, you know, they were, you know, in sync with each other or that they were, you know, on a hot streak or, you know, that, that, that they had banded together somehow, you know, and yet we do that pretty easily with baseball players um, because, you know, winning is fun and guys look like they're having fun when they're winning. And we, we, we look out at the team and, you know, people are throwing pies at each other and stuff like that. But, you know, I don't know that that really gets at any of the underlying sort of psychological process on the level that Russell is talking about. Um, uh, you know, uh, raising your hands over your head when you hit a home run, is not, it's probably not, is probably not psychological zen for me, you know, for most people is not, is not lack of anxiety about performance or whatever. And, um, you know, it's, it's just hard to, it, it's, it's hard to infer or in, impute those things as fans, you know what I'm saying? Like as, or as analysts. But with that, like, isn't that removing some of the, the humanity and the, the human factor. And I know that, I mean, I'm talking as a fan, not as a, you know, a researcher or as a psychologist, but like the, it's not coin flips. I mean, I know like, mm. no, it's not. Wait, wait a minute. It's, you know, it's, it's people performing in concert with one another. And so isn't, isn't there, I, I don't know. Basketball. That, yeah, right. yeah, it's not it's not coin flips. But what I'm saying is, is if it, it imagine it were coin flips, right? Like it, okay. imagine imagine you simulated this season on a PS4 or something, which is another interesting psychological question. We'll talk well, about that. Well, after. So let's like, do that. Let's simulate the season, and we'll, we're going to put player X in a, in a crap mood. 
and the crap mood set. No, no, ne- never. Wait, wait, wait. No, hold let's on. do this. No, just, no, just, I want to answer to my question. <laughs> because <laughs> you, you put the player into the crap mode and he's just slower and he makes stupid decisions, right? I mean, you, there's like if, a, like if you ba- if you control this, this is like physics in a vacuum. You know, there's no friction, there's no air resistance, but we're going to do this experiment and do the calculations. That the player who is suffering mentally so in some way, who's not at their uh, able to achieve levels of focus, they're perhaps less likely to go into, you know, if they're a pitcher, they're less likely to be able to find themselves in the flow state and be able to, you know, consistently execute and perform at the highest level without much, you know, uh, exertion of mental effort. Uh, you know, when he's when they're mentally fatigued or distressed or exhausted, their their house just is wiped out by a flood or a hurricane. Uh, things that have actually happened in baseball and the players are like, it's, you know, there is a measure. It's not just, you know, they're tired. There's something there is actually a physiological impact that in a perfectly controlled, amazingly laboratory setting that we'll never will achieve. That would be something there's something tangible that happens. It changes. It's not just a, a dark, gloomy cloud and a bad facial expression. It's like the person may actually not be able to perform these really difficult tasks at the same level for many various reasons that are hard to capture. But you would expect all else being equal, the happier person may be able to perform at a better level than the distressed so, anxiety so soul. Harry, is your question then um, how much does that affect someone? Like, to which are they operating at 60% of their... I think I answered it. <laughs> it was that basically that the level of, that if, if there are measurable effects of these these psychological states or shifts in, in mood or being, that it's not surprising that over time, if you observe this in a player, if you know a player very well, and personally, that there may be, you may actually be able to say, yeah, your performance will be better or worse based on state. I mean, physiologically, Dan, that's not insane. We, yes, we understand there's other factors, but the notion that, mm-hmm. you know, as Russell pointed out, that you, you're, if you're slower, even just a little bit, you know, that's going to affect you in baseball, right? It, it's not, you know, so, so it's not insane. The, the problem is, right, is like um, when we generate projections, for example, for like Mookie Betts at the start of the season, right? I, I think he's close to like a league average hitter right now. Um, uh, you, you know, I, I think, well, I actually don't know what the projection for Mookie Betts was at the start of the season, but, you know, there were. Send all hate mail to Dan Brooks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, right. I, I I looked up the list of Saber Seminar speakers. I didn't look up the list of projections for Mookie Best. I'm sorry. Um, you, you know, th- there was some range of possible outcomes, right? And so I'm just saying, you know, I think truthfully, the answer is, you know, at least from my perspective, um, you know, when it comes to these experts performing this highly demanding, uh, you know, visual motor task, um, we just don't have a really good handle on how those kinds of soft factors um, and possible physiological changes influence their sort of ability to perform that baseball task. But if they did, and we had the ability to, in the rare instance, actually know that, it doesn't take much to take someone off their game. So whether it's a deception on a pitch, 
or any of these things. These are, you know, baseballs is kind of, it's on a, I kind of always think about it as walking on the razor's edge for some of these players, you know, that, uh, that you get, you lose a little bit of their, it's like when Doug Davis was a starting pitcher and like the, you know, working for that, all those extra years in the minors trying to get all those enough starts to get a service time up to a certain level. You know, he just would keep pitching. He had no margin of error. So if anything was wrong, you know, if his fastball was a tick slower, if his changeup was missing by an inch, he, he was screwed. So the same thing. I mean, if a player's performance is impacted by so many things, the fact that there are reasons to believe psychology and mental state can pr- impact performance, even if you can't measure it directly, it's it's in the it's in the weeds. It's in the, it's in all those factors, whether it's the glare off the scoreboard or what. It is something that can actually detract or enhance performance. Is there anything outside of baseball in this realm of, of study or question um, that where, where you can measure or people have measured how, you know, how these stressors or these life activities or, or whatever affect performance, mental performance or anything like that, even if it's not necessarily, you know, not necessarily, obviously not necessarily tied to baseball, but anything outside of that realm? I think I mean would would you like would you like to take a class on that? Um, no. <laughs> I, mean, I mean that I think that, you know, some of what we're talking about here is, you know, once you get away from, you know, the assume a spherical cologne sort of um assumption where you're kind of the, the stratomatic hypothesis and we, we realize that, you know, these guys aren't stratomatic cards, they're not coin flips, they're not doing anything like that. Once you get away from that and you acknowledge that, yeah, this probably does have um, some 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 salience here, it's just a matter of, you know, as we're trying to talk around, we don't know what the order of magnitude is. Now, we have in an um, – we have from other areas of psychology, you know, sleep deprivation, for example. You can take – you can put people in a lab. You can um, – you can keep them awake and you can give them a psychomotor motor vigilance task and where they just basically have to wait for the X to pop up on the screen and they hit the space bar. And you can time how long that takes and you see that, you know, as you – as anybody who's ever pulled an all-nighter knows, you get to the point where, yeah, you're awake but, you know, your reaction time is really, really super slow. And, okay, well, you know that we have baseball players who have jobs where they travel a lot, where they switch time zones, where they're on flights that land at 3 in the morning and then they got to be up the next morning and um, getting ready for another game. Where you know they're sleeping in hotels, uh, probably a lot of that um, can, you know, if if not total sleep deprivation, um, it can run into you know what we call partial sleep deprivation, and that has you know we we know in the lab what that what the effects of that are generally for kind of a, a broader human population, and we we have no reason to think that baseball players are any any different than that uh, from from general humans. In that you know they're going to slow down. Now, you know how that then uh, turns into linear weights. Well, you know then you start playing the game of probabilities. And okay, well if you're 0.2 seconds slower or whatever, um, and you know how much? Yeah, how much? And and that's where, but that's where stacking. That's the order of magnitude, right? I mean, 200 milliseconds is you know if you if you if you if you lose if you lose that much on your reaction time. 
when your reaction time for you know making a decision on a batted ball should be somewhere between 140 to 180 milliseconds. You know, if you're at well, 200, you're. But at the same time, and that that yeah. is like I mean I've done I've I've read some of the stuff and I like to write about sleep and sleep deprivation in baseball, and some of the stuff that happens is that it's not that you know you're always going to be constantly 200 milliseconds behind, but you know your reaction time does grow and your reaction time happens within kind of a certain band, mm-hmm. and what happens is that you know that band of reactions kind of moves back and forth and you also get you know kind of segments of time where you are you know you you have just a 500 millisecond um uh, break between a stimulus and a reaction and of course by that point the pitch is right past you and you know you're like wait wait what just happened and you know i mean so that can happen you could have um and then those kind of little blips happen. They happen to everybody on just a regular basis, but they happen more often when somebody is sleep deprived. Because when we look at like the points of decisions for a pitch, you know, for the, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's measured in you know the units are tens of milliseconds. Mm-hmm. The, the, so I mean, small things can make a big difference. So, well, so that's but, why it's interesting. That's why I think it's like interesting. A lot of the neurological studies that teams do. It's not just about reaction time, but impulse control. Mm-hmm. The ability to prime a response and <laughs> not do it. I never. I'm not going to talk about my own research from 25 years ago. So, I'll, uh, so Dan. But so, but but this. you know, just just there for a second. You know, just just about about you know uh, um, uh, real experiments on real people that measure the effects of, of things on sort of psychophysics, right? On, on reaction time or impulse control or other kinds of performance. Um, the first thing I'll say is that, um, you know, you can do those studies on baseball players too. It's harder, right? Because, um, you know, baseball players are sort of a special population that are hard to get access to, but there have been studies, um, in the literature and also presented at Sabre seminar that are studies of, you know, reaction times and visual tracking and things like that on baseball players. They're often not major league players. So, you know, there'll be a college team or there'll be, um, this year was the Hong Kong professional baseball team, uh, Right, or, so uh, we don't you get know, to get the uh, data beyond that that stuff. You're right, but it's like the but major league teams per, you know do these tests. Uh, you know, you know they do them internally. Stuff. You know, so, exactly so like saying, yeah, individual exactly. internally. Yeah, so like individual teams. You know, there are entire organizations that are asking their you know minor league affiliates to all do um, you know these sort of like little web app kind of games that measure, you know, uh, um, pitch tracking, you know, like how well they can identify pitches or something like that. And, you know, I've heard various stories about how well players actually uh, Mm -hmm. do or care or how well it translates to performance. (laughs) But, you know, if you were interested in doing that sleep deprivation on reaction time studying baseball players, you know, you could probably go to your college baseball team or, you know, a minor league affiliate near you and say, Hey, listen, I'm interested in doing this. You want to just take this iPad on the road with you. I mean, uh, pending IRP approval and team approval and things like that, you know, but I, so, you know, I think that, um, you know, even though it's true that there are, um, you know, there are studies in the general human population, which are interesting and obviously applicable for like, low level processes um you know there's probably stuff that's special about being a baseball player Mm -hmm. so with that is there um 
you mentioned like minor league teams and, and things of that nature. There's no anything that would be done on a major league level would have to be collectively bargained with the players' union. Is that right? You're asking the wrong person. Uh, yeah, I, I would guess so. I mean, pro, well, you know, I mean, that's true and it's not true, right? Like, um, you know, the, I, mean, I think yeah, I think there's uh, limits. Like, there's probably things like if it's not excluded, like I think the CBA will be like carve things out. Like, you can't take more than two liters of blood per month. You know, things, you know, but, but it's like you, wow. you know, but you probably, the players like what you, I think maybe there's something in the CBA now about wearable sleeve provisions, what can be done with the data or, or something. Before that, there was, it was, there was nothing. Teams could ask you to do it. You could say no. They had no recourse. And, and if you said yes, you had no recourse if you didn't what they like what they do with the data. So I think it's between up to the players at, in the end. I mean, there's probably parameters set by the CBA, but. You know, and I think this is an important point here. It's like there's going to be the psychologists that work with the players who are my counseling, the psychologists that work on the performance stuff. And then there's this whole idea of like collecting data and doing experimental things and, and, you know, institutional review boards, IRBs, as Dan mentioned, which are very important. So there's a whole ethical bunch of ethical issues swirling around on this too. That we yeah. So I think, I think a lot of the CBA stuff really um, in, in my sort my sort of read on it, and maybe I'm wrong is that a lot of the CBA stuff relates to two separate issues. One of which is, you know, you don't want teams to be collecting sort of uh, without player consent data that's going to be used against them for evaluative purposes. Um, and uh also, you probably don't want teams compelling players to do invasive testing. You know what I mean? Um, and you can sort of scare quotes around invasive. I, you know, I mean, the team, I assume, can obviously require you to, well, I, like I they the can ask can you to do you, I the assume. CBA, for, they don't have a way to punish you. It's the CBA and, and they shouldn't, right? From a research perspective, mm-hmm. right. you know, they, they shouldn't have, you know, they shouldn't force you to participate. But right. exactly. I, I have the no idea. I don't want to do that. There's no, there's nothing, and there's, there's, you know, okay, yeah, yeah, That's exactly. You, you know, but but I do think it's worth considering. You know, like suppose we were to measure sleep deprivation. Let's just take sleep deprivation because it's something that that um, you know is is sort of. Uh, immediately grokkable to the average person, right? Where depression might not be if you've never been depressed or anxiety might not be if you've never been anxious, although you could sort of understand it. Um, y- you know, uh, y- imagine you are sort of chronically sleep deprived as a player. Um, you know, does that matter when you come up to bat in the bottom of the eighth inning with two two guys on? You know what I mean? Like, even if we're able to measure a difference in your sort of target reaction time and, you know, a lab setting, you know what I mean? Do you, do you get that same kind of adrenaline and surge? And, you know, are, are you, you know, you're going to be hyper-focused. You're out there doing your job. You only come to bat once an hour. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, it, does it have the kind of real world impact that we would assume it otherwise would, I think is a fair question. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that that, it, you know, that leads me to another question too, of when teams do evaluate players, which of course they're doing at all times, how much of this do they take into account? Even if it's not necessarily like an organized study of them but um you know if you look at day night splits or anything like that that's just like super observable you know somebody plays better during the day or they play better at night or whatever 
how much of that, um, I would imagine that goes on in terms of evaluating players, but, um, but only I think that, I guess only the team would know, right? I mean, right. Because there's some there's we don't know, and maybe right? the team wouldn't even know. I mean, what you're talking about there is, I mean, for something that's kind of super observable, and something like day night splits, you know, I mean, part of the whole sabermetric enterprise is trying to figure out, okay, well, day night splits could just be random noise from small sample size and or i mean there could be some signal in there we don't know and it could be signal for one guy and random noise for the other 499 guys right i think that's my question is is how do we like do do teams try and identify that do teams try and say like okay so and so is gonna is a great day game hitter or or even like so-and-so yeah. seems to perform better on the day after i could see like for an older player <laughs> for a guy who's like you know my age and his eyes are going so don't put him out there at night it won't go well um, well i mean <laughs> his meds kick in and he's slow uh but i think this is goes to me to, to borrow a term that uh, that i i hear in the cycling world is marginal gains mm-hmm. that maybe you can't measure each and every one of these things but if you do 10 and 20, you know, 25 more little things that the other guys are doing, you may accumulate a 5% edge. Or get like the extra 2%. Well, 2% I didn't want. But that was Whoa. that was last. That was that was like two episodes ago. Oh, right? okay. The show program. <laughs> but thank you for listening. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'm aiming real high, 5%. But that's exactly the thing. It's like right. we are talking about – actually, it's really good that you tie this together because there, we are talking about that realm. I mean – there are physiological things that are happening. There are there. There's, there's they're all going to wash out. You're not going to know. You're never going to have a controlled experiment with seven thousand ball players over over ten years to figure this out. But as a team, when it comes to competitive advantages, so to Kendall's question, I think it's not so much about keeping. There, there's got to be some aspect of player evaluation, like hey, we know this guy was you know crazy jet lagged in the Pacific coast league. Maybe he'll be better. if he gets some sleep, if we manage to sleep, I don't know. You may find cases like that. But I think overall from a team perspective, it's like optimizing all these things. is just something you do and you don't exactly know which ones are having the impact. I don't know if it's the nap room or this the fact that we're burning sage on the team plane. It's like, it's one of the two. Or it yeah, could be something gonna, unrelated. You not know, that, that's, <laughs> I was going to bring up the nap. I will actually. say, yeah. I, I, just, I will say real quick that, you know, uh, one of the other sort of counterintuitive things about a lot of this is my guess is that these are, these are pretty reactive measures. You know, um, the more you think about how hard you're going to measure someone's mood or depression or sleep or whatever, the harder it gets to do that in sort of an unobtrusive way that doesn't affect that person's mood yeah. or sleep or whatever. Right, which is why you, you know, try like, and like use, you don't want to experiment on your ballpark. You just you want to apply, like, hey, you know what? We there's there's reason to believe that if you don't. It's like the data is not conclusive enough to like change the way you manage your entire team philosophy and what and wash your hands over it. But if we know, like, you know, if you give your guys a little extra rest that and and it may, it may help and the players yeah, are happier and anything <laughs> for all we know. But it's just, you know, this is what teams 
teams are doing some teams are doing lots of these things right red sox have a nap room right well yeah the, the nap room there and, and i mean harry you're now you're talking like a like a public health worker and you know when we think of psychology we usually think about one-on-one you know let's yeah, this is an organizational psychology baseball i think to me strikes well, yeah. me first and foremost as organizational psychology from yes teaching consistently the same principles the same way through multiple languages at multiple levels and age groups to me that is like the biggest number one thing you know that we haven't touched on is that in baseball everything else is just a framework that you know all these other psychological things or physiological things or skills or whatever they are sleeping well having good diet that's all processed through an organization a large structure so to me that's fundamental well let me let me go back to the nap room then yeah. and let me let me frame it like this the, the nap room was a public health intervention that was done by the red sox and you know i mean it, for those who don't know the, the red sox actually took a room in fedway park and redid it they had a contractor come in they installed i don't know bunk beds or whatever you have a little nightstand you can put your apple watch down on there you can fall asleep <laughs> for half an hour and um and so that's you know you you and the idea being that you know the, again these guys are going all over the place all over the country on planes and they're switching cities every uh, twice a week, and so you know maybe if they got a little bit of um, uh, of extra rest it would help. Now we've been talking about okay how do we how do we measure that on an individual level? How does that specifically affect Mookie Betts? How does that specifically affect Andrew Benintendi? I don't know. I don't know that there's a really good way to do that. But if you look at it from the point of view of it's probably going to help someone, maybe five or six of the guys. Okay, I couldn't tell you who, which ones those are. And the the effect is probably going to be positive, just kind of given what we know. And it's not going to do any harm, even if like I mean, if somebody doesn't get any benefit out of it, it's not going to harm them. So we don't know exactly who it's going to help. We don't know exactly where it's going to help, but we have enough information to kind of go, well, this is going to help. And I think that's the level more that teams are are starting to do this. I mean, the the interventions around, um, you know, providing healthier foods in the minor leagues. You know, we we don't know which players marginally are going to be affected by that, but we know that there's probably you know one or two guys who given better food and better chances to you know not eat chipotle or mcdonald's every uh, every night um are oh, going to be in better man. shape so I you're just, basically you're saying, so instead saying, of saying the way i was phrasing it is uh, make every guy a couple percentage points better it's really make a handful of unidentifiable most likely guys five you know a quarter of a percent each better we think well maybe. It's 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 the level at which you intervene in the system. I mean, if you are trying to get it at the individual level, where you're trying to say, okay, I know that player X has particular characteristic Y, and therefore we should prescribe him sleep or uh, a Chipotle gift card or burning sage for him, and uh, you know, every uh, every uh, afternoon at three o'clock. I, I don't think that. The, the the ability to do that practically and probably from a methodological point of view just isn't there. But there are things that we know work for some people at some times and that the effects are generally good and desirable in the context of a baseball situation. I mean, you think, I mean, like the crazy stuff that Joe Madden does, um, you know, some of the, some people are, some guys are probably just rolling their eyes at some of the stuff that he does. But if you get a couple of guys who, you know, were having a rough day and, you know, he 
calls the local, you know, the Lincoln Park Zoo and has the um, them bring over, you know, a tiger or something like that. And, and everybody's like, "Ooh, cool tiger, you know, and, you know, there there could be 20 guys who were just rolling their eyes. Oh, there goes Joe again. Um, but there might be five guys who got a good laugh out of it. And that relieves some stress and that, you know, kind of starts a chain reaction. You know, that's that's the kind of stuff that that you're looking for. So you don't need it to be so laser targeted. And I think that, you know, that's one of the things that we we struggle with in, in the field is we want everything to be so damn laser targeted and down to the third decimal point. You know, sometimes what you just need is something that you know is going to do more harm or more good than harm. And and if you can get that, even if you don't fully understand everything of what it's doing, um, you know, you, you work toward it, you, you work toward that understanding, but in the here and now, because you have games to win tonight, um, th- that if you can just get do something that does more good than harm, you're going to have, you know, you might as well do stuff like that, especially the low-cost stuff that, you know, you can just kind of do for pennies on the dollar, given the type of effect size that it could have. Yeah, I mean, like the Cubs are a great example, right? Like they have Darnell McDonald leading, I think, meditation sessions. And sure. right, I think John Baker provides, you know, is like sort of like a mental skills coach. One, I think is one of his many mm-hmm. titles, right, yeah, um, for the organization. You know, and I, I mean, so, so they, you know, they, they do a variety of these sort of like epidemiologic or public, as I think Russell called them, like public health mm-hmm. psychology interventions where you're not trying to target an individual but you're trying to sort of like target the group as a group whole and, you know, maybe it works. And then it's a really cheap way to, um, to, to get performance and maybe it doesn't work. And then it's, uh, you know, it's, it's in an inexpensive way to throw money away. Um, you know, um, and, I, I think that, How you know, the, the other thing to tiger for a couple hours, I don't know. <laughs> well, actually, I hope that's like, oh, that's like $750 an hour plus the call trainer. the Astros. It costs uh, three prospects and, and taking on some of Justin Verlander's uh, contract. Hey, oh, uh, uh, oh, my goodness. Sound effects um, to come no, in but, post. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, you know, the uh, I, I do I just, you know, I, I do think it's it is interesting in that, um, you know, most of the most of sort of the physiological effects of these things are sort of measured on extremely short, extremely small, extremely um, uh, I, I can't think of a, a third Easy. word there time scales. And, you, you know, you, you have like this, this, you know, even, you know, even pretty extreme sleep deprivation, right? You're talking about milliseconds of reaction time um, or, you know, uh, real bad anxiety or depression. Maybe, maybe you're talking about, you know, uh, maybe seconds, maybe milliseconds of reaction time. Um, you know, at the same time, the kinds of interventions that you're talking about working are these sort of like diffuse ambiguous, you know what I mean? Like they're not focused at the, at the same time scale or, um, or sort of process level that the actual research or study is done on, well, you know? Are, are and there so like they, training things like some of those, like, you know, they shoot a tennis spot, you know, it's like, is it, is it red number? Is it a number? What number is it? You know, and that things like that. I mean, there are like training devices and those are really, 
getting at those neuro, neuro pathways, right? At that that ability to do you know discrimination and, and impulse control. Some of that's trainable, so you don't just have to like go after the mood aspect of it, which seems like sure, a good sure. diffuse thing. But there are targeted things, and those are probably more attuned to these small, tiny little things. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Seitz a couple of years ago presented on uh, you know uh, flashing Gabor patches at various places in your visual field and how that uh, improves visual discrimination. And, you know, had also tested in baseball players in the college baseball team. And, um, you know, uh, that's that's an extremely targeted kind of intervention. You know, go stare at this flashing pattern of gray-ish dots. Um, You know, that's that's pretty far removed from anything, anything feelings-ish and uh, certainly anything baseball performance related, and yet it could impact a process that has a really fundamental uh, impact on baseball. Now, whether or not that one is the best example, um, you know, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, under, under certainly certainly there are those kinds of things out there. Yeah, that to me seems like the more, uh, I don't know, maybe it's higher risk in certain ways. Because it's like, okay, we're just gonna, you know, get the zookeeper, and you know, so we'll get some funny string and some streamers, and we're all gonna get a funny shirt for the flight. Uh, okay, we're gonna have these scientists come in here and spend an hour every three months doing this laboratory thing, and uh, you know, hope it doesn't screw up your eyes. And you know, I mean, it's obviously getting to a different realm here. These like training things, because if you think it's supposed to be cutting edge and giving you a competitive advantage. Is there solid science behind it? Uh, you know, is is there, you know. Are there real performance benefits that are long term and they're not just the just, you know, the result of just having any intervention with the player? Are these controlled? You know, so that that's so even while there's those but that may actually be where the hard breakthroughs could be. Well, I'm sure that there's plenty of crap out there that, you know, people yeah. pedal to you because if you got like fitting race, like the copper bracelets and the. Power yeah. thing, yeah. I mean, the, the, the entire history of medicine is filled with quacks. So this is kind of to me interesting because I think about there's always there's we think about the the uh, like the, the hitting gurus and the pitching gurus and and uh, there's also probably these performance all the performance coaches and stuff. Well, I mean, <laughs> how much of this is quackery? How much like how how well equipped you know are professional sports teams and their management at managing these types of initiatives? Oh, in terms of you know figuring out which ones the uh... Yeah, how do you know you haven't hired a quack? Like, you know, like you, you may know that your pitching coach is bad or one of your pitching right. coaches is, but how do you know that your team uh, psychophysiologist is actually conducting useful training sessions? Um, or, you know, a couple of years ago when the uh, the Dodgers hired a psychic or something like that, if I remember correctly, when it was the McCourt era. Um, yeah, yeah, they, they have Russian guy, right? He was supposed to like direct positive or negative energy at various places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Whatever I mean, happened to that guy? Uh, well, He's had a know, great year with negative energy, hasn't he? 
behind everything. But no, but that's a great, that's a good example. So maybe it's not as extreme as, you know, having sister Cleo coming to the clubhouse and telling you what the next pitch is going to be. You know, we all know that an Apple watch is what you want for that. That's right. Uh, so that's our I second. Really, by the way, I just want to point out that I really like these stolen signs, um, like product placement that's happened a few times you know it's like this sort of like really subliminal like stolen signs message like you should keep listening <laughs> thank <That's>, you <laughs> oh i thought you were saying that we were all going to get apple watches yeah sure <laughs> yeah. no no Check no, no, no. Okay, so so for the, for so podcast. This, so it, this is another you know our our you know are, are the Cubs being snowed by Madden's, you know, it looks great. It, we, it makes sense. We can talk to it, but you can't really measure it. So don't worry about it. It's like one of those things, like how can I manage where I can't measure, you know? So are these things really working? Is this person really adept at, at doing it? And I, I you know, I, 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 I wonder how much of a challenge that is in the industry. And, and, you know, we kind of mentioned a little bit earlier about the ethics of these things. I mean, I have to wonder, I mean, let's say that I showed up one day at, you know, on the doorstep of one of the 30 teams and I had, you know, some, uh, some, some, you know, magic crystals that I said would turn everybody into, you know, hall of famers or, um, or at least, you know, slightly above replacement level players. And, um, and, and, you know, I mean, it's all, it's all crap. And I mean, it's, um, there's certain, there's something to be said for the placebo effect, and there's something to be said for, you know, I mean, I I can take credit for you know what might have just been natural development, and you know people who are just really you know we know that people are really bad in general at understanding how science works and how research good research methodology should be, and you know I have to imagine that there are team owners and probably GMs who. You know, are you know these guys are not superhumans. They're smart guys, but sometimes they you know they can fall for that sort of stuff. I have to imagine that there's a certain amount of trial and error. There's probably a certain amount of, um, okay, you know, it sounds halfway convincing. I'll take a shot on it, and that's really the, you know, the the reason for. Uh, for why they would try something like that, and that and that would be the only analysis that they really do until two years later, when they go, "Oh, are we still paying that guy? Huh? That's not really working, is it? You know?" And uh, but then you know, then then you've got <laughs> then you've wasted a lot of money. Success also makes success also makes you know all of this stuff a lot more palatable. I think you know, and sure. so um, Joe Madden happens to manage a really good baseball team. And but you know Joe Madden may also I mean but but you could also make the case that you know maybe maybe Joe what Joe Madden is doing actually has some effect and and that, that I mean that he's he's not a snake oil salesman he's an actual he's an actual genius um I don't think he's a genius. I think he's I think he's applying basic principles of of a happy workplace you know giving people you know the ability to express themselves yet be held accountable to their colleagues, you know, and, and there's, there's, you know, he does it. He's, he's able to do that because he has this very loosey goosey style. So, he, but he's also a hardcore old school baseball guy. So he has the credibility, but he's got that like kind of hippie, modern faux hippie shtick. <laughs> um, 
but it's probably genuine sincere. That's who he is. You know, it's like, I don't think you could go that deep with this without it being who you are. But I think he's doing like basically just, you know, let people realize that tomorrow's another day. We have your, we have each other's backs. We expect you to fail at sometimes. And, you know, we just want you to be, be a professional. And he just is like, how do I keep that mood? I think that's probably all he's, he's thinking is how do I keep them people in a, in a, decent mood and obviously that's a very complex under thing underlying it he's probably not thinking about this will impact performance in specific ways it's just like you know what if we're going to make this trip through 162 games we're going to be best off if we aren't at each other's throats and aren't aren't constantly stressed out and we want to establish that tone of compatibility and openness early so we're going to do it a certain way and he's been doing it for a long time or it could just be complete and total bullshit and he knows how to find teams that have are stacked to the gills and you just hope to God that your pitchers stay healthy. I, I think that the other thing to remember is that all of these interventions have in some in some small way, some of them less than others, but but some really do have opportunity cost, right? In the sense that, you know, um, every minute you spend in the nap room or in meditation or in, you know, early morning, morning yoga, or in, you know, I don't know, uh, like collaborative stretching or whatever, um, or tiger viewing in the clubhouse <laughs> is time that you're not doing other things, right? Those other things could be things like talking to other people, or it could be things like watching, you know, video of the upcoming starter, or it could be doing things like, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, going over your mechanics with one of your position coaches, or it could be doing things like, you know, talking to your, you know, a, a fellow player about, um, maybe he noticed this, this thing in your swing or something like that. And instead of having that conversation, you're both doing, you know, meditation lessons or whatever. And I'm not saying that, uh, you know, so, so it is possible that, that these things, um, you know, impact the team negatively, right? It's, it's not like it's, it's, it's not like all of these interventions are totally costless, like to the extent that they, you know, to the extent that they just waste people's time, right? Maybe those people just want to be at home spending time with their family. And instead they're like, well, everybody else is going to meditation. I guess I got to go to meditation too. I'll pet the tiger. Fine. No, no, but yeah, they're seriously right. I mean, I mean, that's that. I think that's what happened to the Mets this year, right? Is is they they have the tiger business in the clubhouse, and pretty soon everybody's getting surgery. No, I, I, but seriously, like like these things are not costless, and I think it's it, you know, or at some level, you know, I, I think at some level, right? Like a theoretical fun and games uh, is is ultimately counterproductive and um you know i I think we should be careful we should be careful advocating for that sort of thing because like i mean okay so the conclusion is flash strobe lights at the players don't let them have fun no fun and games stay away from tigers well no i'm just just in new york yeah yeah just right yeah it's it's really specific to like the Matt Harvey Rupert of teammates. Leave the Mets out of this. Poor Mets. They have enough problems. They've suffered enough, Dan. 
All right. Well, in the interest of uh, keeping us all healthy and happy, um, we will let you guys go. And uh, thank you very much for your time tonight, Dan and Russell. Thanks for coming on Stolen Signs. And uh, we definitely hope to talk to you guys again. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Welcome back, and thanks for uh... thanks for sticking around. So I think I learned that we, we people are spending money on these things and don't know if they're working. I think that was my big takeaway. Yeah, I think that that, that was a, an interesting part about it. That um, just your what you mentioned the marginal gains. I thought that that was um, people trying to capture these little bits of um, of. Um, benefit or of, of, edge, of yeah. edge yeah and and trying to find that and um i think it's interesting that we don't know you know we don't know what's going to work or what's not going to work we just kind of just try a bunch of stuff and hope that some of it works for some of the people uh, it seems very unscientific and um i guess that just goes to show where we are in terms of understanding Human, yeah, I think that's a fundamental problem. We'll never get I me. Mean, Dan's point about the, the more you try and measure it, the more artificial it becomes, you know? So it's right. hard. If you want to measure something precisely and really get a clean measurement, you go into the laboratory and you control the experiment and do, you select the subjects and you can do, what, do your thing. But it's less and less applicable to the real world where if, when you go to measure things in the real world, you can't get that level of precision, but what you may find is more applicable. So I think it's this constant balancing act that, you know, I, like how does an organization do that? I mean, how, you know, that, that though, I think a, a specialty, obviously in industries, you know, it, all, all, all over the world. But I, I wonder how much baseball really looks at, such an important thing because really what they're most the, the biggest thing baseball team spends is payroll uh you know right. the, the business of of managing these humans for human performance i thought it was and interesting we just talked about all these things it's few, we barely scratch the tip of the iceberg all these things we'll we'll post that list of articles on the on the right. page yeah podcast page this or talk speakers they're just a list of speakers that dan mentioned there's so many it's like just we, there's so many things that can be done you're being you're doing and it's like well what's the you know should, are these guys better off just kicking back and watching daytime tv instead And I think that, you know, we brought up the Cubs as a team that is doing all of these things, trying to find this, these marginal gains. Um, And I I mean, I I think that they would be considered a progressive front office. Um, That's what it looks like from the outside here. Right. But it's even them, you know, they employ, you know, we mentioned all the different people that they, yeah. and, And it's like, how do how do we know if that's working? How do we know if what they're doing is really helping, or to what degree, or whatever? And you know what? Maybe they don't care. You know, I, I think that that's an interesting point too. Is if it seems to make their players happy or uh, set the tone. I think you kind of mentioned this, Harry, in terms of an institutional 
psychology, I think is what, is that the word you used? Organizational. Yeah, institutional psychology is maybe different, but organizational psychology, like getting people on the same page and, mm-hmm. and um, kind of all operating in the same way or to whatever degree they can. I think that that's, maybe that's just the gain and um, common language and common way of relating to one another as you know, human beings, that might be it. And who knows? But I think it's interesting that that's, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, there's all this opportunity. It looks like for competitive advantage, you know, from the neuro training type of ideas, you know, make your reactions faster, make your, make your, you know, all those things. And, and to the mood, like, you know, have the tiger on the field and whatnot. It's just all these, it's like, some of this is like, it feels like it'd be nuts not to do it. But Dan's like very, you know, like, look, we don't know. There is an opportunity cost. These are extremely small gains. You know, but I'm like, but wouldn't you be nuts from a competitive point of view not to go for all these gains? Like, yes, but that could be costing if you're doing the wrong ones. I, so, how, you know, you know well, well, this is probably something we'll, we should do this like every year. Right. Yeah, I think there. it's <laughs> just, just like keep coming back to this because I have a feeling that there'll be a lot of developments. Because right now, I, I just like questions and and very few answers. So I guess that's okay, though. I think that's the tigers. idea. Yeah. Petting tigers. Anyway, go pet your tiger. Go pet your tiger. And, Settle down. <laughs> um, hey, now. Uh, and while you're doing that, or before or after, probably, um, send us an email if you have any questions. Stolen underscore signs at Baseball Prospectus. Or hit us up on Twitter at stolen underscore signs and rate and review us on iTunes. And um, yeah, I think that'll do it for this week. Yeah. We will uh, talk to you all next week. I will be a year older. Uh oh. Just a few days older, actually. Happy but birthday. My birthday. Yeah. Is. Like, why are you going like somewhere truck time travel yeah. thing? That's kind of weird. Yes, yes indeed. Um, Happy birthday. Thanks, Harry. So that makes you a Virgo. It does. I am a Virgo. Yep. That's topical. Is that right? Top, I, yeah, well, we talked about, you know, well, uh, kind of Russian yeah. horse. So. Are and Virgos the, good in the playoffs? We don't know. It's hard to tell. <laughs> I wasn't very good in any Major League Baseball playoffs that I've performed in. Yeah. Zero. All right. All right. Proof. Yeah, it's proof. It's proof. Virgos suck in the playoffs. With that. Good.